This classic Encounters podcast is brought to you by Encounters North. To learn more about our podcast videos and projects and to support our work, please visit EncountersNorth.org. G'day, I'm Richard Nelson for Encounters Down Under. It's a program of observations, experiences, and reflections on the world around us. It's very early on a summer morning in beautiful Australia. And off to the east is the early light of an oncoming sunrise. Walking through tall grass, very wet with dew, my feet are already soaked. I'm in the eastern part of Australia on a very large property of the sort that North Americans would call a ranch. In Australia, it's called a livestock property. This is a place that belongs to my good friends, Guy Fitzharding and Mandy Martin. Several thousand acres of land on this place, which is called Pennyroyal. And it's inhabited, as you might expect, by a pretty good-sized mob of cattle. As I look out here across the pasture, or paddock, as it's called in Australia, I can see dark, moving, shadowy figures of black Angus cows. Every morning when I'm staying at Pennyroyal, which I've done for quite a few years, I try to get up before dawn and head out to hear the morning sounds and to see what's happening as the dawn arises and to wander around on this glorious place, the landscape revealed here in the ghostly light of a nearly full moon is a mix of sprawling grasslands and an open eucalyptus savanna. The trees scattered, lots of grass between them. It's a wonderful environment for grazing. The cows have plenty of shade in the very hot temperatures of summer. Anyway, it looks like a big park particularly beautiful in this moonlight, the long shadows of the trees cast in that special light that's created only by the moon. Now we can start to hear in the distance the sound of the kookaburra birds that open every dawn in Australia. The old timers call them breakfast birds, iconic species of Australia. Everybody who's ever heard a kookaburra bird loves the sound. We're going to hear more of them here shortly. And right on cue. That's just a single kookaburra bird. You usually hear bunches of them together, and we will. They're just chanting up the sunrise here, along with lots of other birds that are just now starting to pitch in. That beautiful fluting sound is the Australian magpie, large bird, black and white, not quite as big as a crow. Now we're just meandering up to a big eucalyptus tree with three trunks number of times recently I've seen an extraordinary little animal right here called a sugar glider that lives in one of the holes in this tree. 
And the sugar glider is a lot like a flying squirrel, a little bit bigger. And when they spread their legs out, there's a membrane that goes between them. So as they sail across the sky from one tree to another, they look like a napkin sailing down and then they'll clamp themselves on the trunk of another tree. We're gonna stand here for a few minutes and see if our sugar glider might show up and also let ourselves be entertained by some of the morning sounds. Right there, the rooster, who reliably starts to crow maybe an hour before sunrise. We may get better acquainted with him a little bit later. There is absolutely no sound on earth like the kookaburra bird. I can't seem to get enough of it. Oh, there's a piece of luck. In the space of just an instant, the little sugar glider came sailing across from a neighboring tree and landed on our tree trunk and is now scampering up the trunk. It's amazing to see it. It almost jumps up the side of the tree in little hops, fuzzy brown, a black stripe down the middle of its head, big black eyes, and now where there was a broken branch and it must be hollow because scrambled into that little hollow, they spend the nights feeding on mostly nectar and sap from trees. Now, Australia is quite remarkable. Most of the mammals that live here are marsupials. They have a pouch like a kangaroo and so does the little sugar glider and the other gliders. There's quite a variety. There's a little teeny one that lives right here on Penny Royal. It's called the Feathertail Glider. It has a body about the size of a mouse and it does the same thing. It sails from one tree to the next. Going along the side of a gully here, littered with branches and limbs. Also lots of dead trees. Guy Fitzharding is a really strong advocate for conservation and for providing wildlife habitat. So this property is one where not only cattle are raised, but also it's a welcome place for wildlife. Why are the dead trees and the limbs important? Well, we've just seen the reason. It's because the dead trees often have lots of holes in them and it can be hollow in the trunk so birds and animals can get inside there. The hollows are really important for animals like the sugar glider, the feather tail, and there's also many species of birds, especially the parrots that depend on these hollow trees in order to raise their young. And so by leaving the property in a condition that some people might think is a bit messy, you're actually making a home for lots of wildlife species. Same for the limbs that lay on the ground, providing places where smaller animals can live, all the way from insects up to small mammals. And so this is a place, while it's a utilized landscape, it's also a landscape for wildlife. Ooh, and speaking of wildlife, I'm going through a thicket of thistles here that are quite tall. They're as high as my shoulder, some as tall as my head. And there's a huge kind of orb-weaving spider that likes the tall thistles, but you can find them anywhere. You'll see a web it's coming down from the limb of a tree and it may be 10 or 12 feet across and it's almost like a flexible elastic monofilament line and there's a huge spider in the middle of this web bright orangey and gray colors 
and it would splay out on the palm of my hand if I was inclined to hold this critter. Ooh, oh, I just ran into one of those big spider webs, but it's so strong that I managed to back off and I'm now going around it. There's another kind of a large spider, even bigger, it's called a huntsman. Looks exactly like a tarantula, but the huntsman is fast. And they like to live inside houses. There was one on the wall of the bedroom where I'm sleeping. Had to move that one along to another location. Now we're hearing another of the beautiful dawn voices of Australia. The pied butcher bird. Black and white, about the size of a jay, and they're fairly common. Now we've come up to our first gate here. One of the things you learn about is getting through gates and always making sure you latch them again. This gate is a steel gate, as you can hear. It's in two halves, each one about 12 feet long. Over here, is the very large, beautifully weathered post that gate sits on. Fences are amazing things. An enormous, sprawling piece of artwork. You watch them as the sun comes up, barbed wire shining in the sun. You see all these beautiful weathered fence posts made out of eucalyptus from this property, put up maybe 30 years ago. And you realize that there's a beauty to them the geometry of the fences across the land, and the incredible amount of work and skill that goes into putting these fences up. Fences have to be one of the most sprawling human artifacts on the face of the planet. Millions of miles of fence here on the continent of Australia, similarly on the North American continent, laying the land up in this enormous geometry of fence works. We're coming down into a broad valley here, full of lacy tendrils, pools, and broad swaths of fog. The orange of sunrise glowing strongly in the sky and setting the fog on fire. Now here we're at a big gate. It's a triple gate. All these gates have different kinds of fancy latches and fasteners mostly involving chains, and they're very musical, as we can hear. So this is three long gates that join three different paddocks. And now just here, there's an electrified fence. I was trying to crawl under one the other day, and man, did I ever get zapped a long spark onto my tender flesh. I think it's about 7,000 volts. It's no wonder electric fences work. And they're actually a very good thing. I imagine a cow touches an electric fence just once and no more again after that. And so you can have simple fences, easier for wildlife to move back and forth because there's not so many wires. And there's not a chance of an animal getting tangled in it as can sometimes happen with barbed wire. Now, why isn't, say, Pennyroyal, with its several thousand acres of land, just one big open pasture? Why does it need to be divided up like this? Well, there's a good reason for it. Cows will graze fairly intensely, and if you keep them in one area, 
and protect the other from grazing. The grass can grow very strongly where there are no cows while it's being kind of mowed down as it is in the paddock I'm in right now. So there's a complex system in which cows are moved from one area to the next, resting one, grazing another. It's amazing to learn about the amount of skill and knowledge that goes into doing this properly so that the land remains healthy. And in this case, as I mentioned, healthy not just for cows, but also healthy for wildlife. We're coming up to what's called a dam in Australia. In American English, you would call it a little reservoir or a pond with steam rising off the water, absolutely calm, reflecting the beautiful eucalyptus trees and swimming, leaving little wakes. There's a bunch of wood ducks. Oh, about 25 just jumped off the bank here and took wing. These ponds are created to provide water for the cows by digging out an area with a tractor that blocks off the flowage down one of the many gullies here on the property. That sound we're hearing is a kind of parrot called the galah. Flock of them just winging overhead back and forth. They're incredible aerobatic flyers and they're big birds about the size of a hawk. Not only big, but also very beautiful and colorful. Rouge breast and belly, gray on top. They fling themselves back and forth in the sky, constantly playing. They'll also do stuff like hanging by their beak from wires or from branches. I'm looking out over this foggy paddock, and out here I can see 40 or 50 black Angus cattle. So that's the reason for all the human works on this piece of land to manage the movements and the activities of these jet black Angus cows. They're very gentle animals. If I got on the other side of the fence, I can almost guarantee they'd come over to have a look at me and visit. We're really starting to get a chorus now of the Australian magpies. Let's just stop and hear a bit of this natural concert. and some small parrots jetting back and forth between the trees called the superb parrot, that kind of rolling, churring sound. About the size maybe of a jay, but very long, thin body, vivid green color, and the males have bright yellow on their head and on their chest, the superb parrot. It's a rare bird, and this is one of the places where they live. And why do they live here? One of the reasons, the abundance of dead standing trees where they can nest. This year, it's very wet in Eastern Australia. It was pretty good last year too. That's why my feet are soaked walking through deep green grass. But most years, Australia is quite a bit drier. It's the most arid inhabited continent on earth. This part of Australia, the whole Eastern part, has been through a phenomenal drought that lasted about 10 years. And the land here, three or four years ago, covered with gray stubble. And landowners had to spend huge amounts of money buying food to keep their cattle alive. And now suddenly it's gone the other way and everything thriving. It's so interesting to talk to people who live on the land and just see the relief and the joy in their faces 
as they now look at a landscape so different from the one that has been literally starving people out of their livelihoods. Now we're going to go through another gate here. I love, to, I love to go through gates, I think, as much because of the sound as anything else. When you walk around on any property that has livestock, cattle, or sheep on it, you want to make darn sure you always close the gates behind you. There's nothing a farmer will appreciate less than leaving a gate open so the cattle end up who knows where. Heading up the hill here, back toward the home where we started out in the darkness before dawn, and now we have laid out all around us this exquisite landscape. We can hear in the background a distant truck. There's a highway called the Midwestern Highway that passes a few miles away from here. And on a clear, still morning like this, you can hear the trucks passing in the distance, the commerce going north toward Sydney, south toward Melbourne, the big cities of Australia. And of course, there are little towns everywhere. Australia is a very thinly inhabited continent. Most of the people live right along the coastline, especially the East Coast. It's about the size of the continental United States, but it has a population of only 22 million people. So less than the population of the state of California on this big continent. So people are really spread out, but there are a fair number of small towns, many of them with a really wonderful character. Going up the hill here, we're now looking out over a huge sprawl of land, that valley that we were down in with the fog, now beneath us, and just little lacy rivers of fog still down there, and the sky rising to the full glory of an Australian day. Now I'm following a cow path. Cows are creatures of habit. They're very social. Where one goes, you can be sure the other ones are going to go too. And they like to follow these paths. Some of them are like little troughs. The one we're in right now is like that. And oh, here's something interesting. Here's a big anthill. By big, I should explain, I mean, it's about 10 inches across and five inches high. The dirt here is fairly red color, as it is in so much of Australia. And so the little crumbly dirt around this anthill that looks like a small volcano is all crumbs of bright red soil. And there's quite a traffic of good-sized ants going in and out there. These ants are about as long as the last joint of your little finger. Red in the middle and black at both ends. And they've got big jaws. There are a lot of ants in Australia, and many of them can bite fiercely. I would not want to stand still on top of that anthill because these things, the minute they can find some bare flesh, they are gonna bite you, and every bite is sort of like a bee sting. If you keep your shoes on and your pant legs tucked into your socks, you're almost certain never to get bitten by one of these ants. But if you do, for most of us, it's just a matter of grin and bear it. Sometimes it'll hurt for a few hours, just like a bee sting. I've come up the hill now, almost to the top, where Guy and Mandy's beautiful house is located. It's tucked into the hillside. And nearby, there's a big metal shed 
that I'm looking at where farming equipment is kept. A little four-wheeler in there, motorbikes. People used to use horses to move cattle around and get around their properties. Now most people use motorbikes for those little four-wheelers. Some of the fields here are cultivated and sown with edible crops so that every year, except in years of drought, Guy Fitzharding can go out there and harvest hay that he uses to feed the cattle. Now just in front of me now is a long mound of kind of raw looking dirt. Underneath it is a huge amount of hay. They use a backhoe to put it there and when they run short of feed they'll dig this out. Now after about five years I remember that thing was completely dug out and there was no hay at all. Tough times. There were very sad stories about farmers in Australia struggling to keep their businesses and themselves alive. Now just here is a beautiful structure, complicated structure called the stockyards. It's a maze work of fencing that the cattle are brought into and then they move through smaller and smaller enclosures and there's a long chute part of it where individual cattle can be put through to give them inoculations and stuff like that or they can be moved onto a ramp to load them onto a truck. And then just here, big aluminum grain storage tanks. In tough times when the cows need to be fed, it's stored in these three tall tanks. This is a place that's kind of a favorite for the Galah parrots that were hearing just now. We're also in there hearing the mournful voice of the Australian raven. Nothing at all like our northern ravens. I'm walking along the gravel drive that leads up to the house and decorating the land on either side of me here are some cow pies. Cow pies are an important part of the ecology of these landscapes because they help to fertilize the soil. They're rich in nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium and so what goes into the cows is important when it comes out too. I'm just kind of zigzagging toward the house. Huge, swollen, brilliant sun above the eastern horizon and all the trees painted with a sort of alpine glow in this early sun. And boy, right now, I've got an enormous, almost 360 degree view of the countryside surrounding Pennyroyal, my friend's ranch or cattle property in Eastern Australia. And off in the distance, the beginnings of the snowy mountains, long, high, smooth ridges, all now pinkish and orange in the early sun. So you get a sense here of Australia as this enormous well-worn continent. The highest mountain in Australia is only about 7,000 feet high called Mount Kosciuszko and there are many absolutely huge stretches of country in central Australia that are dead flat. Some galahs there. There is a kind of flatness in Australia that just defies your imagination, where the absence of relief becomes a kind of beauty all its own. I was just dumbstruck by how glorious that country was out there. And now we're going down 
a little slope. The last thing we're going to do to get the morning started, I'm picking strands of spider web off me. I'm telling you, I've walked through so many spider webs. I think I'll be pulling them off my clothes for the coming year. <laughs> They're not only big, they can also be very sticky. There are now birds winging back and forth everywhere in the sky. And let's just stop for a minute and listen to a quintessential dawn chorus of Eastern Australia. So now we're coming down to a lovely little old shed that has a kind of vine. I think it's wisteria covering the roof. And that is there not just for beauty, but also keeps the heat down. And this shed is, <laughs> you already know what's in here. We've had a little announcement there from the rooster. We're going to go in here. And we're opening a big steel drum that has grain in it for the chickens. And I've pulled out a scoop full of grain, opening a gate into the chicken yard. Chickens aren't called that in Australia. They're called chooks. And here's our dozen or so chooks with a single rooster who must have a very nice life, being the only guy with all these females. And we're now scattering grain on the ground for a bit of an extra morning feed. The chickens, or the chooks, will spend the day going around this fenced enclosure here. Chickens are out now, getting their morning feed. We'll close the gate again. And now we're going to do part two of the little morning task. Putting the scoop back in the chicken feed. And here we go. Here's our little friends. Two beautiful little dogs. Hello there. These are cattle dogs. Their names are Miho and Yumiko. Names after some of Guy and Mandy's Japanese friends who are involved in the beef business. And here we have very happy dogs. These are two incredibly athletic animals, brown one and a black one, short-haired. They're built like a hefty sort of greyhound. They're built for speed, and man, can these dogs run. I've never seen dogs anywhere that can run like these two. They're part of a whole tradition of dogs in Australia that work cattle and they can race around and move the cows. Dogs that are extremely well trained are like classic sheepdogs. They can operate based on signals from their master or their human companion and move the cows around. So this is the beginning of a typical day here at Pennyroyal for me. 
And now we're going to go in and join Mandy and Guy for breakfast. Well, it's been a great pleasure to take you out on a morning in Penny Royal, the ranch or cattle property in Australia. I want to thank you so much for your good company. And thanks to all the animals and the other beauties that have made our morning such a pleasure. And to Guy Fitzharding and Mandy Martin for their hospitality and for the chance to be here. It's one of the great places in my life. I'll see you next time. Encounters is a production of the Island Institute, KCAW, and the Sitka Sound Science Center in Sitka, Alaska. Written and narrated by Richard Nelson, developed by Ken Fate, Encounters is produced and edited by Lisa Bush, web design and research by Liz McKenzie. Encounters is funded by the North Pacific Research Board, the Educational Foundation of America, the Johnson Family Foundation, Robert Osborne, and Gerald Lorraine. For more information about the subjects covered by Encounters and to podcast the program, go to EncountersNorth.org.